First Peter, verse six. First Peter, chapter one, verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as this, as this morning begins, I don't, I don't know everyone's heart. I know where my heart is and I know that um, the, the busyness and the, the hardness of life gets in the way of, of our focus of you. God, would you strip away anything that is taking our eyes off of you? Would you allow us this morning to come to your word and, and just see everything that you have for us today? And God, if, if I say anything that is contrary to your word, that is heretical, I pray that you would make us all forget it. And I pray that you would show up by your spirit to show us exactly what you would have for us. It's only a work that you can do, God. So would you do it? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one day, a man showed up to my house. He wanted to sell me some uh, green cleaning. I, it's called like a rhino cleaner. Did he show up to y'all's house at all? Yeah, maybe not. But, man, he was super convincing. Like, he just had his sales pitch down, and it was really good. But I'm not sure why he was super convincing, because, like, when he pulled up, he got out of a still-moving van that dropped him off and another guy off on the other side, and they shut the doors while they were uh, coming up to the house. But uh, he walks up to the house, and he just starts spraying stuff and cleaning it. And I'm like, hey, hold on. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> So I'm not sure, like, why I thought he was convincing. Um, and then he just kept talking. Like, it, he was just a really good salesman. I didn't have a, a way to say anything at all. Um, but one of the things he said, how good would it be if you swallowed the cleaner under your sink? And I was like, I thought, well, if I'm drinking something under the sink, <laughs> like, I have bigger problems going on, I think. Um, but he said, before I could say anything, he said, this stuff is completely natural. And then he sprayed it in his mouth. And I was like, and then he just swallowed. I was like, but my thought was, wow, that is amazing. I, that is some really good cleaner. Um, like, just, you know, you don't need mouthwash anymore. You just spray that in there. And then after that, he went and he sprayed one of our stones, like on our walkway. And he only sprayed one spot, but that spot was so clean. Like after he wiped it with his rag, uh, so I bought three buckets, <laughs> and it was $150. Like, this was not a good purchase. So, uh, but I was super excited about it. Leah, not so much. She gets home, and I'm just super excited, because this was a, it's a natural cleaner, and Leah's more natural person. She's super granola, crunchy. So she's like, I thought she would love the natural cleaner. Like, so my, uh, she said, Jake, we can't spend $150 on cleaner. Um, and I, she said, what is wrong with you? So I said, but he sprayed it in his mouth. And Leah said, well, what's wrong with him? 
And then she said, but more importantly, what's wrong with you? Like, why did you buy it from him? And I said, but he cleaned this stone. Like, come and look. And she was like, so now I have one clean spot of this stone and all the rest of it's super dirty. Uh, And I was like, yeah, I guess that's a good point. (laughs) So I had to call and cancel, and I felt like a horrible person. But luckily, I didn't spend 150 bucks on three buckets of cleaner. Uh, But I tell you this story because I don't want you to be like that me. We can't just buy anything that someone is selling. What I mean is that we can't trust everyone. Even some Christian pastors and leaders and speakers that we see on TV or that we hear on radio, we can't buy everything that we hear. Some Christian pastors promote such things as having your best life now or becoming the best you. Some promote the prosperity gospel, that if you give enough of your finances to make sure they can fly in their jets and not on coach, Uh, Some promote the idea of miraculous healings where they choose people out of their crowds to make a leg longer or to make nerve pain go away. These women and men sadly aren't spending any time in the hospitals. Not that we cannot have a great life serving God or that God will not bless us financially or that God will not heal us. These things could happen. But what if they don't? What if our life is truly full of hardships and afflictions and it's certainly not the life I would say is the best life? What if I'm not the best me? I know without a doubt I'm not the best me. What if despite our best efforts, we still have debt? We still have a hard time finding a job, let alone keeping one. What if we've given a whole lot of money, a whole lot of finances, a whole lot of time, a whole lot of effort in faith and we're still struggling? What if we're still going to the doctor for the same old sickness or disease that we've prayed for for years now? Sometimes, man, it feels like God's hearing my prayer, but I still get that call from the doctor with the same old news. The worst thing a person can do is make promises that cannot be kept. The worst thing that a minister of the gospel can do is promise us things that God does not promise. One of the promises that I want us to see in stark contrast to the Bible is that if we are believers, then we will not suffer. And if we're suffering, then it's because we need more faith. We have a lack of faith if we're going through anything hard. Here's the truth. Everyone, no matter what we believe, no matter what the person is, no matter uh, what religion we subscribe to, no matter what God we trust in, we are all going to suffer. Little G God, let me explain. Little, whatever little G God we trust in. But we are all going to suffer. Even Jesus Christ himself suffered while here on earth. Sebastian the crab on Little Mermaid, he says it best. The human world is a mess. Like the, the human world is a terrible place. Just watch the news for five minutes. The reason why is sin. Sin has fractured the right relationship we should have with God the Father in perfect harmony and unity. So now the earth groans and it's in agony every day. The people of the earth are in agony every day. We see some of it here in America, not a lot of it. And until Jesus returns, the world is going to be this way. We are going to hear of atrocities happening every single day. It shouldn't surprise us. Everyone suffers. And the same is true for believers of Jesus Christ. You and I are going to suffer. You and I are probably already suffering. 
If anyone ever tells you that if you become a Christian, that you're going to have your best life now, tell them to read their Bibles. Tell them to look at the life of Jesus. Tell them to look at the brothers and sisters across the globe who are being persecuted, literally killed, burned at the stake for believing in Jesus. And ask them then at that moment, say, do you dare to ask these men and women if they're having their best lives now? 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 is a firm foundation to stand in. Peter is writing to encourage the men and women that he's writing to, to keep them from apostasy, to keep them from running away when things get tough, because they are tough. The only reason anyone would run away when things get tough is because they were promised poor promises. Mission Church, here is our promise from the scriptures. You will suffer. Jesus did not die for us to have our best life, but to take away our sins. Our command all throughout the scriptures is to rejoice or to have joy always, even in suffering. And this is a glorious command. Rejoice in trials, rejoice in suffering. And this isn't a, oh, yay, I got some suffering. Joy is everlasting. Joy is found in Jesus. And since Jesus isn't going anywhere, neither is our joy. And just one pastor describes Christian joy in this way. It is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. We want that kind of joy in our trials. We want to suffer well. How do we do it? Well, we have to answer two questions from our text. Uh, the first is why rejoice in trials? And the second is how. how. Why do we rejoice in trials and how do we rejoice in, tri in trials? And once we've answered these questions, you and I will have the ability to rejoice in our trials. The trials that we are inevitably all going to have or are currently walking in, we're gonna have, we're gonna have the ability to rejoice in the midst of them. So let's take a look at the first question. Why rejoice in trials? If you look at verse six, it begins with, in this you rejoice. So we have to ask the question, in what? It's everything that we just covered last week. So if you weren't here, uh, if you look at verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So in what, when we read in the first part of this, it's in the promise of the living hope. In the promise of the living hope, we rejoice. And so the, if we were just to simplify it, very much so, the resurrection of Jesus Christ secures for us a living hope. Because if we have died with Jesus to sin and we have been reborn into newness of life with Jesus, then we have the promise of a living hope in Jesus. One day we're going to live again and one day we will never die ever in the presence of God. So our text, starting in verse six, could read, in this living hope you rejoice. And let's also just define suffering or trials or hardships uh, in the way that's found in the parenthetical statement. It just says, tested by fire. So if you haven't gone through any suffering, you probably think that's dramatic. If, though, you have gone through trials or hardships or affliction, fire feels accurate. It's like, yeah, that, that's about right. It feels like fire. 
One commentator, he describes suffering as the furnace of affliction. Had in mind the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing there, burning on all sides. The men who threw them in died. So keep that in mind as we read through this. Why do we rejoice in the furnace of affliction? The first answer is that it's only for a little while. If you read verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Nothing is more, enc- nothing is more encouraging to hear for one going through trials than it's almost over. The very reason why hope is essential to living is because hope reminds us that one day it's going to be done. The, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross that is going to be fully finished and over and done, we will be fully victorious one day when we come to glory. And that gives us hope. So uh, I try not to work out because I'm pretty sure I'm allergic. Like my face gets real red and puffy and I start sweating. Uh, I can't breathe sometimes. But one time, uh, Aaron Alvarado, he's the guy singing, and him and I were, we were working out together and we were doing some, uh, some pull-ups, some burpees, some push-ups, and otherwise known as death. Um, but every now and then I'd look over at the clock. He had a clock set up and it was like a 30-minute workout of the day thing. Uh, and I'd look over and I'd see 28 minutes left. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I, I did my pull-ups. I did like two or three more rounds of stuff. And I look over, it's like 27 minutes. Like, what in the world? Like God was slowing time down or something. Um, and it was the worst time of my life. But uh, when the clock did finally get down, like a few hours later, when it finally got down to uh, like 30 seconds or so, man, I was so happy. And like even that in those moments, I was like, all right, I can do a few more pull-ups. I tried. I couldn't. But... <laughs> It's only a little while, whether it's cancer or shame, whether it's for a split second now or a lifetime and we never lose it, it's only for a little while. God has constructed suffering and trials to come to us only for a little while. Compared to eternity, compared to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, it's nothing. Jesus in three days took on the eternity of suffering that you and I deserved to flip suffering around to now it gives us life. We suffer only a little while. Only Jesus can do that. Second answer as to why is that it's necessary. If you keep reading, verse six, in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary. What does this mean? Peter, he just makes it clear that uh, this is only for believers. If necessary means, this is, if necessary, you are a believer. If you're not a believer, then it's not necessary. So he just makes it clear, like, if this is God's will, then this is what's going to happen. In uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 17, he says, It is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So you might suffer for doing what is right. You might not. The ultimate choice is God's. If God should will it so, we will or we won't. In, four, in 1 Peter 4, verse 19, he says, Let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The sovereign will of God governs every distress, every grievance, every suffering that happens to you and I. 
And therefore, the design of them is not ultimately the design of the evil one or of evil men or of Satan. They are real, but it's a design of God. So when Peter says in verse 6, if necessary, you have been grieved, you have been distressed by various trials, he means if God deems it necessary. Why is it then that God would deem trials and suffering and affliction necessary? This actually brings us to answer three of as of why we are to rejoice in suffering. If you look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? The trials that God deems necessary in his will for you and I to go through are bringing about inside of us something that will one day result in our praise and glory and honor. In other places in the New Testament, these three words, praise, glory, and honor, are descriptive of the eternal state that you and I will be in in our new and perfected bodies. Literally translated, praise means commendation, glory means splendor, and honor means worth. When Jesus comes back from the sky, I don't know what that's gonna look like necessarily, but when he comes back and he, and he comes to gather all the redeemed, when bodies will literally be coming up from the ground, Revelation here literally is translated apocalypse. At this moment, you and I, if we are believers, we will have commendation from God. We will have splendor before God. From darkness of sin to light of perfection, we will stand before God worthy, and that is the end result of our suffering. The suffering does something in us. In other words, trials are God's way of sanctifying us. Suffering is God's way of making us look more like Jesus. Everything that you and I ever experience that pulls just pieces of hearts from our bodies, everything that we barely make it through, everything that we do not make it through that feels overwhelming and impossibly difficult that we're gonna have until, the, until Jesus does call us home, it's not pointless. It is not meaningless, it is not for nothing. God is doing a beautiful work to pull us apart from our sin and the hardness of our heart to bring us into new life and make us look more like Jesus and he does it through the pain and suffering and trials. That's why the text describes it as fire. The process of refining silver and gold is putting them through extreme temperatures, putting them in a furnace that melts away all the imperfections of it. Same thing happens with you and I. It's God, the ultimate jeweler, putting us as his gold and silver through the furnace. So I'm, no, I'm going to take this away. I'm going to take this away. This isn't good for you. And just imagine, like, the first people to read this letter. They're being persecuted. They're being kicked out of their homes. The government is corruptly dealing with them. Like, if you can imagine going up to Starbucks and saying, hey, can I get a coffee? And they would say, no. Like, I'm not going to serve you because you're a Christian. Same thing happens throughout this whole Roman colony, and, and this is what's happening. Like, they're just going through this persecution. It would be so much easier in this moment to run. They say, I'm getting out of here. I, I want to leave. I want to just go to a place where this isn't happening. But Peter says, stand firm. God is doing something in you that will one day result in your praise and honor and glory. He doesn't get into any of the specifics. Because he doesn't know. We don't know what those are going to look like. But he says, God is doing something in you. Don't run. In the furnace of affliction, it is a furnace. 
It is going to hurt, but stand firm. God has not left you. If you're a believer in the room, this is the encouragement from God for you in whatever you are going through. Rejoice in the living hope you have in Jesus Christ because since you have that, since we have Jesus Christ who flipped suffering on its head, suffering will only be a little while and it's doing an extraordinary extraordinary work in you and I that's gonna make us look more like Jesus. Why do we rejoice in trials? Because it's only for a little while, because God deems it necessary, and because it is making us look more like our Savior, and that will bring us into eternal life. But we have to ask the question, how? How do we rejoice? It makes no sense just kind of answering that first question and just leaving it at that. We have to see how we do it. And that's kind of the ultimate question of humanity, is we see Jesus held high in the scriptures and we see commands from God and we're like, man, I, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I rejoice in my suffering. Other times I don't. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm frustrated at God. Or I'm so sad. I have just, my heart is overwhelmed. How am I supposed to rejoice in suffering? If you look at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, so this is just another part of the suffering. He, he writes this in here because these men and women, they're upset that they didn't see Jesus like Peter and, and all of the other people did. And they're like, man, like if I just saw Jesus, then it would, it would be better for me. Like I would be able to rejoice in, this, um, in my suffering. Jesus didn't seem to think so. He actually wrote elsewhere, blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. But it keeps going. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so right here, we see our three answers to how we rejoice in trials. We love him, we believe in him, and we rejoice with joy. So let's just start with love. When Peter speaks of loving Jesus, he means unashamed, extravagant affection for the Son of God. Though we do not see Jesus with our physical eyes, we still love him. We do not have to see Jesus in the flesh to experience love for him. Rather, we see him in the revelation of God's word by the spirit that moves in our hearts to show us, look, love Christ. It is, it is not burdensome. It is a good thing for you. It will produce in you joy. Love him. That's what the spirit does. The first and greatest commandment in the Bible is that we are to love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and will. That's what Peter has in mind here. Love him. Loving Jesus means experiencing him as precious simply for who he is. It means prizing him above all that is prized in your life. It means valuing Christ above all that is valuable in your life. It means treasuring him above all that is costly. It means praising him above all that is praiseworthy. So the question, how can you set your affections on Christ in this way? The next thing, believe in him. The word believe in verse eight means just more than believing mentally in a doctrine or a doctrinal truth about Jesus. That's part of it. Like we have to know about Jesus. Um, But if we say we trust Jesus but refuse to describe, um, nope, I read the wrong sentence. That's my bad. If there is far more involved, not if, let's just rewind like five seconds so I can give my, 
easy for me to say. Uh, believe means more than believing mentally in doctrinal truths about Jesus, but there is far more involved. It also means yielding to him. Before you make an action, sitting before whatever it is you're about to do and saying, God, what am I supposed to do here? One thing I loved about uh, the pilgrims is that they would wake up every morning and they'd write out a long list of the things they had to do. I don't know what that list would have looked like, but they would write it all out and they would say, God, I need your help for all of these things. That was the first thing they did. It means relying upon Jesus moment by moment, entrusting our souls to him, turning to him at all times for strength and encouragement and hope. It means experiencing him as reliable in all that he has promised. It means obeying him in all of his counsel and guidance. So do you trust him? Do you trust Christ? Are you dependent upon him for everything in your life? For anything in your life? Lastly, rejoice with joy, which I just think is a fun way to say that. Rejoice with joy. The end product of a faith that has been put through the furnace and is purified is described right here. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter describes it as being inexpressible, or the other word uh, in the Greek is un unutterable, just beyond words. There's a speechless joy. So this joy would go against all human efforts at understanding or explaining. That means the dictionary does not have a word for it yet. We haven't had the brain capacity to think of the word of how much this joy actually gives us joy, so we can't describe it. We will never know this kind of joy until we can't find words to describe it. Second, Peter also describes this joy as full of glory, or the other word is glorified. And this word just evokes images of God's glory in the Old Testament. That bright, shining radiance of his presence. When Moses would come down from speaking with God on the mountain, Moses' face was shining. That's how bright God was. But the glory here is also just a reference to when our salvation is consummated and we enter into the fullness of our relationship with Christ. Though we do not see Jesus, we experience something joyful to rejoice in, in advance of the great and indescribable glory of that coming day, and we find it all in Jesus. The three answers to this question of how we, of how we rejoice in our suffering, how we rejoice in our trials, they all focus on and center around one man. That's Jesus Christ. Because it's only when we are focused on and centered around Jesus that we're able to rejoice. In the first place, but at all. Jesus is the joy we seek and we find it only in him. Why? Why is this true? Because he laid down his life to make it so. They didn't take his life from him when they killed him. He gave it up for you and I that we may have a right relationship with the Father and now because of that, because of that simple yet amazing and not simple at all truth, we may rejoice in our suffering because we know, like, all right, if, if I've been saved, my end goal is to look more like Jesus. My end goal, my, when I am finally saved, I'm going to look like Jesus. So if I'm going through something that it feels like fire, it feels like I'm in a furnace, you know what? That's Okay. That is a good thing for me to go through. I'm going to look more like Jesus. 
we may rejoice in our suffering, we suffer well. And just imagine, like one day, you and I will know, like we're going to know exactly why God gave us the light he gave us. We're going to know exactly why Jesus gave us all the suffering that he gave us. When Jesus comes back and, and we're taken up into heaven, if we are believers, then we're going to see all of the scars of our resurrected body, and we're going to be able to say, oh, that's why that happened. It made me look more like Jesus. That's why we rejoice in suffering. It makes us look more like our Savior, and that's the whole point. We want that. So because of this, we're going to take communion together, and in it we see the visual gospel. We see Jesus' body and blood that were broken and shed for us in his suffering, the, his suffering of what we deserved. He suffered what we deserved to suffer to give us life. The Old Testament, it describes uh, any sort of blood as the, like if it was the blood of the animal, that was its life. So when you spill the blood, its life is not there anymore. Let this blood be our lives. For those of you who are not believers, or if you're in unrepentant sin, I ask you would you, that you would remain seated because the Bible says you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But if you're in unbelief, believe today. Turn from your sins and going at it alone in your suffering and join the family of God. Listen, all of us are going to experience something, some sort of furnace, some sort of affliction. Let's bear that together. Join the family. There is a better way to suffer if you would turn to faith in Jesus. If you have any questions about that, please come find me after. And for those unrepentant, maybe you did run because you were suffering and it was too difficult in the moment. Whatever the case, turn again today. Let Jesus take the weight of your sins yet again this morning. Turn to the cross. For all of us, here's our prayer. Father, I admit and confess that I am in need of this body and blood to cover my sin of running. Would you help me to stand firm in the furnace of affliction with you? Everything that a believer is called to do by God is going to have suffering. Everything we choose to do, whether it's serve in mission kids, whether it's go across the globe to proclaim the gospel to those in unreached and unengaged people groups, whether it's walking across the street to proclaim the gospel to your neighbor, everything that we will do is going to have suffering. But because Jesus walked to the cross and said, I'm going to bear this for you, we can now bear our cross. It only happens by Jesus. The song that we're about to sing, the words are this. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And Lord, haste 
the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. When Jesus is coming back, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. We rejoice in our sufferings. And we do it all because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That just like this song said, you looked down on our helpless estate. You looked down at the suffering we were experiencing and at that moment, the suffering meant nothing. We were going to suffer here on earth without you and then suffer for eternity, but you stepped in and you gave us Jesus. And now because Jesus bore the cross that we were supposed to bear, that we deserved to bear, now you help us to walk rejoicing through any furnace, God. What a beautiful truth. Would you help that to sit heavy on our hearts, to impact every decision that we have through this week, the rest of this morning? God, would you let that truth bear more joy in our hearts right now would you help us to look to the cross of Christ and see nothing but joy God would you help us to worship would you help us to reflect what we just read through in your word back to you in thankfulness and gratefulness we thank you for this body and this blood, without it, there is no other way. We love you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.